the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. This program was originally broadcast live on 93.9 KPDQ. We hope you enjoy the show. Well, good afternoon and welcome to the Monday edition of the Georgine Rice Show. I don't know where you happen to be. I happen to be in my husband's office recording the show from home because, well, the ice has made it very difficult to make it into the office. But we're going to do the best that we can. Hope you are warm and fed and have electricity. I know here in the Portland metro area that has been a challenge in the Seattle area. You've had some icy weather as well, but we're going to work our way through the day and through the week. Well, we're going to begin with a look at some of the day's headlines, beginning with Defense Secretary Lloyd Austin. He was released from the hospital on Monday. The Pentagon announced this came two weeks after he was admitted for complications from prostate cancer surgery and all the controversy around his failure to notify the administration. Well, doctors treating the good general, whose absence went undisclosed by the Pentagon for nearly a week, assured that the defense secretary is expected to make a full recovery, but would work remotely for a period of time. I feel so close to him right now, working remotely for a period of time. Well, the general, <clears throat> he entered Walter Reed National Military Hospital on New Year's Day, but he failed to notify the White House of his hospitalization until the 4th of January. Now, I'm not sure if he, under the circumstances he was admitted into the hospital, was responsible for informing the administration, but there you have it. <coughs> well, during his absence, he was transferred, or rather he transferred authority to the uh, deputy secretary, who was then in Puerto Rico on vacation and unaware of her boss's health problems. So it was a rather difficult um, lapse in the chain of command. In other news... Multiple news outlets claim that the greatest threat to democracy around the world is voters electing right-wing leaders in 2024. So if you think, um, I don't know, uh, the Taliban, if you think Hamas, if you think uh, terrorist organizations who would like to put an end to the United States is the greatest threat, if you think climate change is the greater threat, well, according to multiple news outlets, no. If you happen to be conservative, in 2024, you are the greatest threat to democracy. Now, we actually live in a constitutional republic, but for the sake of our conversation, we'll leave it at that. Well, various political crises ranging from unprecedented waves of migration across the U.S. border, we don't know who's coming, and the Mediterranean Sea to general criminality in the Western world's major cities have caused voters to question the viability of certain liberal policies in the past few decades. But if you're questioning those policies, you may, in fact be uh, the greatest threat to democracy, we're being told. Well, several publications have argued recently that 2024 will be a uniquely pivotal year for human history, a uniquely pivotal year for human history, as the electoral cycles in countries around the globe align. Uh, the Washington Post reported uh, earlier this month that more than 60 countries, it's actually closer to 70, with some 4 billion people, it's actually closer to 6 billion, are set to stage national elections in 2024. So the people will be speaking, and that has terrified uh, much of the mainstream media. That means roughly half of the planet could go to the polls in what could be the greatest rolling spectacle of democracy in human history. 
That's a quote. While the Post's World Affair columnist, he warned that 2024, and I'm quoting, um, has um, uh, brings a wave of elections with global democracy on the ballot and that democracy has ebbed over the past decade in that elections are still staged, but the underlying political cultures seem to be shifting worldwide. Uh, let me translate, if I if I may. Uh, if you don't agree with these um, mainstream news outlets, then you are a threat and a danger to democracy everywhere. Well, they go on. In society after society, um, illiberal values and politicians who embrace them are gaining ground. Uh, that's what one of them wrote, later noting that pivotal elections in the United States, the world's oldest democracy, and India, the world's largest, may underscore a deepening public appetite for norm-bending strongmen rule. End quote. Similarly, he goes on, elections from Mexico to the European Union to Bangladesh may each offer their own showcase of the growing traction of nationalist authoritarian politics. End quote. Well, the Post specified that much of the, uh, much like the United States, the far right's steady capture of the political mainstream fueled by public angst over migration and stagnating economies may see its crowning moment in EU parliamentary elections in June. So apparently the concerns that the people have about the outcome of uh, liberal leaders is insufficient to merit the kind of shift that they may in fact support at the polls. Well, the Post quoted journalist Maria Ressa stating uh, during an address to the National Press Club in Washington that we're electing illiberal leaders democratically and we will know whether democracy lives or dies by the end of 2024. Wow. Now, some would argue that under the current configuration of leadership that democracy is in the process of dying and rigor mortis just hasn't set in. Well, Political Europe editor-at-large, Nicholas Vinokar, he voiced similar concerns in a January 1st piece that was headlined, Democracy is in Peril in the World's Bonanza Year of Elections, and asked, is 2024 the year when democracy hits a tipping point and slides toward autocracy? And while the former President Trump has made headlines for being targeted by the FBI and various uh, prosecutors, which supporters say indicate he's being persecuted by the powers that be, he suggests, and again, this is this uh, political Europe writer, that it is Trump himself who will uh, weaponize America's institutions. So apparently what's gone on up to this point is well, no evidence at all that the government has been weaponized. The president, U.S. President Donald Trump, is threatening to weaponize democratic institutions against his political rivals if he wins re-election next November. Again, not acknowledging that these institutions have been weaponized against him. Whether or not you agree with him, you have to at least acknowledge that that has been the case. He goes on, his potential re-election is already spreading panic in Europe that he will turn his back on Ukraine and indeed on NATO, uh, freeing Putin's band to rebuild Russia's empire and influence networks in Central and Eastern Europe. Well, he went on to warn that far-right parties, perhaps most significantly in France and Germany, are building genuine momentum and turning into potential national governments that would be hostile to, e hostile, I should say, to EU institutions in Brussels and Europe's Muslims, while also being more sympathetic to the Kremlin. End quote. Well, even if these uh, parties won't elect a dictator anytime soon, the peace lamented that they would still be able to exert ever greater influence over EU policies if they score highly in the upcoming elections and force local leadership 
to step back from defending values that underpin democratic society. Well, at issue are these values that underpin democratic societies and the shift that we're seeing, a rather dramatic shift here in the United States that has raised the ire of many in this country, so much so that those who have um, found Donald Trump to be a pariah are considering perhaps for the first time or perhaps again to support his presidency in opposition to the president that currently occupies the White House. It's a very interesting time we find ourselves in, but not quite as ominous as these journalists would have us believe. If the people speak and they speak in a voice that runs counter to or contrary to what he and his fellows support, uh, then we're all going down with the ship and there is no rescue. If the people speak and they want something quite different, maybe to moderate what they consider a very dramatic liberal shift, um, then uh, perhaps the ship will be righted and we won't be in quite the dire situation that some are predicting. In any event, 2024 will be a pivotal year in terms of uh, elections all around the globe with some um, significant percentage of the globe engaged in elections, some free and fair, some not so much. Well, in other news, there is a phenomenon that has uh, taken hold. It's called swatting, swatting down political enemies. It's the act of an unknown hoaxer in which they call the police and warn of a phantom menace that leads to the deployment of a SWAT team. Well, in recent years, the practice has been used as a political weapon. We'll tell you more about that uh, in our next uh, segment. But again, we are broadcasting from home today. The weather is rather inclement, very icy um, here around my residence, and so we're broadcasting from home. Appreciate the guys who are there in the studio. Uh, in fact, uh, Sam Moppet is engineering for me here today. James Blend is working on other things. He's the producer here in the Portland area because we lost power at one of our stations for a day and a half. So as you can imagine, that's left things a bit, um, well, topsy-turvy. In any event, I hope you're doing well in the Seattle area. I know you're uh, enjoying some rather cold weather as well. We're going to take a quick break, but we'll be back broadcasting from home. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. Back in a moment. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Hey, welcome back. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show on a very cold, a very cold Monday afternoon. We were talking just before the break about swatting. It's the act of an unknown hoaxer in which they call the police and warn of a phantom menace, and it leads to the deployment of a SWAT team. And apparently this is supposed to be humorous and damaging. Well, it was recently employed against politicians from both sides of the political aisle. Maine Secretary of State uh, Shema Bellows was um, swatted on December 29th when someone dialed 911 to report an active burglary at her home. The likely motivation for that false summoning of law enforcement Uh, The elite prosecutor was uh, retribution for her arbitrarily taking former President Donald Trump's name off the state's presidential primary ballot. Uh, President, um, or rather Republican Representative Marjorie Taylor Greene has been swatted eight times. The latest attempt was on Christmas Day. Well, thankfully, that one was uh, thwarted. Authorities were able to discern that the caller on a Georgia suicide hotline was actually calling from New York State. Well, the suicide hotline also recognized that the address was the congressman's house. Local police then contacted her uh, security detail who confirmed that uh, there was no emergency. It was just a hoaxer trying to ruin the Green family Christmas. Well, swatting is incredibly dangerous for all except the coward who actually makes the call. 
faking an emergency and uh, sending heavily armored police to the scene of a non-emergency is a recipe for a potential accident. Recently, it was um, uh, can be interpreted as attempted murder using the uh, police as a weapon. It also diverts the police from their duties and takes them away from actual emergencies that might be occurring somewhere else. Wasting law enforcement's time is a crime and uh, so is harassment, which is how swatting is currently classified as a crime and harassment. Well, according to Time magazine, a man was shot and killed by an officer in 2017 in Wichita, Kansas, when police responded to what turned out to be a swatting incident. This is no laughing matter. Police there in 2015 responded to reports of a fake hostage situation, and they ended up shooting a man in the face with a uh, rubber bullet. Well, swatting isn't limited to politicians. Celebrities and everyday Americans have been endured, uh, enduring these uh, scares as well. However, it takes on a more sinister tenor when a politician is targeted. As National Review's uh, Dan McLaughlin pointed out, the political stakes have never been higher. He writes, there's another worrisome trend, the tendency to use warnings of violence as an implicit constraint on legal and political decision making. That's not how our system is supposed to operate. Indeed, it's a significant part of why we have a federal capital city. Uh, again, we're talking about swatting, as they call it. Well, there is significant cultural and political unrest, and the American people are frustrated with the lack of justice and the uh, delegitimizing of their institutions and their laws. They see a president who's allowed uh, millions of illegal immigrants to cross the border, a political party that's actively trying to boot the opposing party's frontrunner off the ballot, an infiltration of activist judges and lawyers who refuse to uphold the law and the implicit knowledge that if you are a, a rioter with a particular political leaning, uh, you're going to get away with mayhem. Well, swatting is yet another symptom of a greater problem, people taking political retribution into their own hands because they no longer trust the federal government to play fairly or to play at all, I suppose one might argue. Well, in other news, the Texas National Guard has seized control of a park at a U.S. southern border, and they're now blocking Border Patrol from entering the area, part of an effort to stop the surge of illegal immigration into Texas and a move likely to significantly increase tension between the governor, Texas uh, Governor Greg Abbott, and the federal government. Well, the state government has taken control of Shelby Park in the city of Eagle Pass, Texas, which has been at the center of the migrant crisis that's engulfing the U.S. border. Authorities have now set up razor wire and fencing to block off the area. Well, Eagle Pass Mayor Rolando Salinas, he said he was informed that the decision was made as part of the governor's emergency declaration. He told reporters it wasn't something the city had requested, and he said his understanding is that Border Patrol was um, now not in the area as a result. So again, they've abdicated their responsibility uh, to protecting our southern border. In other news, a California sheriff blasted California Governor Gavin Newsom this week after a court blocked the governor's latest gun control push that would have banned concealed carry in many public places. It was definitely a relief because having that go into effect and the potential of what was going to possibly happen to law-abiding residents was really unacceptable. That's a quote from Riverside County Sheriff Chad Bianco this week. He spoke of after the U.S. Court of Appeals from the Ninth Circuit Court blocked a California law signed by Newsom that would ban concealed carry in public places like parks, churches, and playgrounds from going into effect. In a statement, uh, Newsom's office called it a dangerous decision that will risk the lives of Californians. 
But Bianco, the sheriff, said the legislation is part of an anti-gun ownership agenda that is extremely dishonest. Well, a group of House Republicans is going directly to Defense Secretary Lloyd Austin for more information on the decision-making that led to senior officials in the White House and the Pentagon reportedly being in the dark for days about Austin's recent hospitalization. Now, I mentioned earlier that he has since been released, but he will be recuperating from home. Representative uh, Claudia Tenney, a Republican out of New York, led a group of two dozen GOP lawmakers. They wrote a letter to Austin with questions about who was part of the decision to delay disclosure, how he would respond if one of the combatant uh, uh, communi- uh, commanders rather, were unable to discharge the duties of their office for three or four days and you were not informed, and who was in the loop about his situation from the beginning, among other details. Well, first and foremost, we wish you to have a speedy and uh, safe recovery and uh, uh, hear that you are now recuperating and have been moved out of the ICU, the letter read, exclusively obtained by Fox News Digital. However, we are gravely concerned about the lack of transparency from the Department of Defense regarding your recent hospitalization, which included a four-day stint in the intensive care unit. It continues. According to reports, congressional leadership, the deputy defense secretary, the president, national security advisor, and other members of the National Security Council were not informed about your hospitalization until three days after your your hospital admission. Given your critical role in protecting our nation as secretary of defense, it is deeply concerning that you kept your extended hospital stay a secret from the president and other senior national security officials. It comes as pressure mounts on the Pentagon over Austin's hospitalization and cancer diagnosis and how they were disclosed. The Defense Department's inspector general said Thursday that they're looking into the matter. But again, he is uh, now home and will be working from there for some period of time. Well, on Thursday, Hertz Global Holdings, they announced in financial filings that it made the strategic decision to sell approximately 20,000 EVs from its U.S. fleet, or about one-third of its global EV fleet. Well, according to the documents filed with the Securities and Exchange Commission, Hertz sales of EVs began in December and will continue in an orderly fashion throughout 2024, and a portion of the proceeds from those transactions will be invested in new gas-powered cars. The company expects this action to better balance supply against expected demands of EVs. The company stated before pointing to the high costs of managing EVs. This will um, position the company to eliminate the disproportionate number of lower margin rentals and reduce damage expense associated with EVs. The company will continue to uh, execute its strategy around EV mobility and offer customers a wide selection of vehicles. Going forward, the company will continue to actively manage the total size of its EV fleet, as well as the allocation of EVs among customer segments, including leisure, corporate, government, and rideshare, it continued. However, prior to the announcement on Thursday, the White House had repeatedly lauded Hertz for the company's public commitment to transition its fleet to one more relevant as um, EV-reliant. For example, in March of uh, last year, the White House highlighted Hertz' efforts and said the company was playing a role in accelerating the EV transition. The fact sheet stated that Hertz, in addition to other private sector and public sector entities, would help ensure President Biden's goal of having 50 percent of total vehicle sales be electric by 2030. 
Well, apparently not so much. In response to Hertz's announcement Thursday, the White House said, well, the company's actions won't impact the president's EV goals. Well, the official added that, conversely, the move would increase the number of used EVs on the market, which are eligible for a $4,000 tax credit under the Inflation Reduction Act, even though it's misnamed. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. We'll take a quick break, but we'll be back. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Hey, welcome back. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. We're taking a look at some of the, uh, the weekend news and uh, the news of today as well. Well, the New York State Board of, Edu- of Elections, rather, is anticipating to uh, anticipated rather to decide whether Donald Trump will appear on the April second primary ballot for president. But the battle to remove the former president through the board of, is rife with hurdles. Democrats might not even realize. A state elections expert says, "Well, the Board of Elections is a, a ministerial body." So they wouldn't even have the power to judge qualifications such as 14th Amendment Section 3 or, for instance, if a candidate uh, files a fraudulent petition. Well, the board doesn't even have the adjudicate. <laughs> I can get this. They cannot uh, extend power to make that determination. It would really have to be done in court. That's what the New York Republican election attorney Joseph Burns told Fox News Digital. The New York State Board of Elections is expected to decide later in the uh, in the year, February 6th, to be more precise, whether Trump can appear on the ballot after Democrats in the New York City Council and state legislature asked the board to remove the former president, arguing he sparked an insurrection on the 6th of January 2021 when supporters breached the U.S. Capitol. Well, the state board's uh, Republican co-executive director issued a statement Monday that the presidency, uh, the presidential primary filing period is ongoing and that a meeting is scheduled for February 6th, where the Republican commissioners will make a determination on ballot access. So not altogether clear at this point how New York will go. And of course, we're waiting for the Supreme Court to weigh in. More on that in a few moments. A Republican lawmaker in New Mexico introduced a bill Friday that would mandate an automatic death sentence for people convicted of certain child sex crimes. In an exclusive interview with Fox News Digital, State Representative Stephanie Lord uh, says that they've advocated strengthening existing laws to protect children from sexual predators, said she was inspired to introduce House Bill 109 following the recent release of documents related to a lawsuit against the um, late Jeffrey Epstein's former lover and accomplice, Giselaine Maxwell, for, uh, that included the names of many high-profile people. Uh, when, I get, uh, when I got elected, she says, I was horrified that every time the legislature tried to pass a soft-on-crime bill, I would say, well, can we exempt pedophiles and rapists? And every time the Democrats said no, Lord told uh, Fox. I was horrified, so I went back and said, you know what? There is no cue, uh, no cure, rather, for pedophilia. There is no cure for these rapists. So we might as well do like Florida did and give them the death penalty, she said, referencing Florida's law implemented last year that expanded capital punishment to include people who sexually abuse children. If passed, Lord's bill would implement an automatic death sentence for people convicted of a first-degree felony for aggravated criminal sexual Assault on a child, it goes into greater detail, I will not, and a first-degree felony for criminal um, assault on a child. It would also require the death penalty for people convicted of a first-degree felony for human sexual trafficking against a victim under the age of 18. 
A former female boxer sounded the alarm about USA Boxing's decision to allow trans women, also known as men, to compete against biological women. USA Boxing is the latest sports organization to make allowances for transgender competitors to compete in the gender division they identify with, not that they actually are. Well, after the regulations were first drafted in August of 22, the policy went officially into effect on the 1st of January this year. I compete. I mean, I basically, you're letting a man fight a woman, Christy Martin said, one of the most prominent former female boxers to compete. Martin was the first woman to get inducted in the Nevada Boxing Hall of Fame in 2016 and has been inducted into six other halls of fame, including the International Boxing Hall of Fame. By the time she retired in 2012, uh, she had completed her career with 49 wins and seven losses, with 31 of those wins by knockout. Well, black and Hispanic families have been flocking to charter schools in recent years. The National Alliance for Public Charter Schools said on Thursday, Debbie Vene, who is the senior vice president of communications and marketing at the, uh, the school and the co-author of the report, said charter schools have made significant gains since 2019. Particularly, Hispanic families and black families are really big customers of charter schools. Vene's comments came after the NAPCS revealed last month that data analysis showed charter school enrollment grew 2% while district enrollment plateaued. The report said charter school enrollment uh, enrolled nearly 10 times the number of new students compared to district schools in the previous school year. She added that earlier research about um, parent satisfaction with school systems showed a tendency of black parents, low-income parents, and Hispanic parents to report that their neighborhood schools weren't great. That's in quotes. But they just didn't have choices. Well, charter schools saw an increase in student enrollment between 2019 and 2020. And again, in 2022 and 23 school years in nearly every state, particularly among Hispanic students, as they accounted for half of charter school enrollment growth. Charter school enrollment for black students also increased since 2019. The NAPCS report found that since 2019, charter schools gained more than 300,000 new students, while district public schools lost around 1.5 million students at the start of the COVID-19 pandemic. Public schools haven't rebounded in the past few years. Democratic Denver Mayor Mike Johnston He says his city is on an unsustainable fiscal path due to an influx of migrants um, that's greater per capita than any other major American city. But he tells conservatives who are angered at the country's mounting border crisis that his Christian faith guides his desire to help people fleeing desperate circumstances. Johnston said that every migrant who arrives in Denver just says the same thing. They want to work. To that end, he's called on the federal Um, government to provide faster adjudication of those seeking asylum, as well as a coordinated entry system and work authorization for those who arrive in cities like his. Well, according to U.S. Citizenship and Immigration Services, one of the eligible, one is eligible to apply for a permit to legally work in the United States if they've been recently paroled or have an asylum application that's been pending for at least 150 days. Johnson has uh, pleaded with the feds to make it easier and quicker to get those authorizations. Certainly, the current path is not sustainable for us as a city, Johnston said. This would be a $180 million impact on our budget in 2024. That's 10% without some change.
in that flow. In other news, uh, the Biden administration's insistence on a two-state solution for Israel and the Palestinians after the terrorist movement Hamas massacre of some 1,200 people, including over 30 Americans, is facing renewed criticism. I do not think a two-state solution is possible, and even if possible, it's not advisable. For more than 50 years, hundreds of self-proclaimed peacemakers led by the United States have attempted to coerce um, Israel and the Palestinians into a two-state solution. Uh, Friedman, who served as U.S. ambassador under the former president, uh, Trump, said the efforts repeatedly failed regardless of who's in charge and the reasons are profound and immutable. The Palestinians are not willing to accept a Jewish state and the likelihood of a Palestinian state becoming a terror state is extremely high, presenting an existential threat to Israel and the West Bank, referring to referred to by the biblical adherents as Judea and Samaria, is biblical Israel, and absent Israel's control, hundreds of Jewish and Christian holy sites will be destroyed, end quote. Well, President Biden penned a November 2023 opinion article in the Washington Post where he called for a two-state solution for Israel and the Palestinians. The Palestinian people deserve a state of their own and a future free from Hamas, Biden wrote. The question is, a future free from Hamas? Is that even possible? Secretary of State Anthony Blinken has been on a week-long tour to the region, meeting with the Arab and Israeli leaders, and repeatedly made the case for a two-state solution. Iowa, well, it's um, gained much of the nation, uh, the nation's attention. In a presidential race that's been underway for more than a year, the voters finally get a say. The Iowa caucuses began today. We'll talk more about that in just a few moments, but I do need to take a break. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show, and yes, we'll be back in a moment. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Hey, welcome back. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. As I mentioned at the top of the hour, we're broadcasting from home today, given the inclement weather, the uh, ice and the commute. It seemed like a good idea. We'll see what happens tomorrow, but glad to have you with us and glad to be able to uh, to continue to work from home. Well, just before the break, we were talking about the raucous caucus that began today in Iowa, uh, in Des Moines, Iowa, in the presidential race that's been underway for more than a year. The voters finally get a say, braving frigid uh, below zero temperatures. So I guess I don't really have much to complain about that are pushing the Hawkeye state. The Iowans head to more than 1600 caucus sites this, uh, this evening, local time to cast ballots and the lead off the uh, contest of the 2024 Republican presidential nomination race. Tomorrow, January 15th, they wrote yesterday, I need each and every one of you to get out. Everybody get out. Just get out and vote. That's a quote from former President Donald Trump urging his supporters at a rally on Sunday in um, Indianola, Iowa. The former president is the commanding frontrunner in the national survey and the latest polls in Iowa as he uh, runs a third straight time for the White House. Trump made history last year as the first former or current president to be indicted for a crime, but his four indictments, including charges he tried to overturn his 2020 presidential election loss, have only fueled his support among Republican voters. He um, stood at 50 percent or higher in a slew of polls over the past month in Iowa and grabbed 48 percent support in the final Des Moines <clears throat> Register NBC News poll of likely Republican caucus goers, which was released on Saturday night. Former ambassador to the United Nations and former South Carolina Governor Nikki Haley and Florida Governor Ron DeSantis stood at 20 percent 
and 16% respectively in the new survey as they battle for a distant second place. Meanwhile, multimillionaire biotech entrepreneur and first-time candidate Vivek Ramaswamy, who has uh, relentlessly campaigned across Iowa in recent months, stood at 8% in the polls. The majority um, uh, Republican Ohio legislature is poised to override GOP Governor Mike DeWine's veto of a bill that would ban transgender procedures for minors. DeWine disappointed Republicans and conservative activists in the state when he rejected the bill, which bans procedures like hormone replacement therapy and surgeries for minors and restricts girls' sports teams by biological sex. Uh, Catholic Vote, one of the advocacy groups pushing for the uh, Save Adolescents from Experimentation Act, or SAFE Act, uh, said the veto was a betrayal of family values by the Republican Catholic governor. The bill appears likely to become uh, law despite DeWine's veto. The Ohio State House on Wednesday voted to pass the bill despite the veto on a party-line vote, 65 to 28, clearing the three-fifths majority needed to override the governor. The state Senate is expected to consider the override on the 24th of January, but overwhelmingly passed the measure in December by 24 to 8. So it is expected to become law. Only one Republican in the state, uh, in the state Senate, joined with every Democrat to vote against the bill in December. The Biden campaign raised more than $97 million in the fourth quarter of 2023 and has $117 million cash on hand. That's the highest total of any Democratic candidate in history at this point in a presidential election cycle. The campaign announced on Monday that President Biden's re-election campaign is entering the 2024 presidential election year with historic resources and touted the campaign's grassroots efforts. This historic hall, proudly powered by strong and growing grassroots enthusiasm, sends a clear message. The Team Biden-Harris coalition knows the stakes of this election and is ready Uh, to um, um, win this November. Biden's campaign manager, Julia Chavez Rodriguez, said, across our coalition, we are seeing early sustained support that is helping us scale our growing operation across the country and take our message to the communities that will determine this election, end quote. She added that our democracy and hard-fought basic rights and freedoms are on the line in 2024, and these numbers prove that the American people know the stakes and are taking action early to help defeat the extreme MAGA Republican agenda again. Now, interestingly, the polling doesn't reflect that same uh, embrace of the uh, re-election of the former president. Some former aides to former President Obama are casting doubts on President Biden's election strategy for 2024. Political spoke to multiple Obama staff members who commented about their experiences in the 2012 election and how Biden's campaign is, well, different. Some have already uh, voiced their concerns over Biden's team having a weaker ground game than Obama's. The vibe was that the campaign didn't have the, um, their stuff together, to put it uh, more mildly. An anonymous Democrat told Politico there wasn't infrastructure in the states. There wasn't a beefed-up campaign headquarters. And compared to where Obama was in 2011, the campaign was fairly anemic. End quote. A 2012 state director agreed. The big issue I have is Biden never had an organization before. He didn't have much in the Dem primary. That's D-E-M. Uh, then the general was um, <clears throat> uh, was during COVID and no ground stuff was really done. Close quote. Well, others advised Biden to 
consider placing White House advisors on his campaign team to ensure better organization. We'll see if the president feels the need. He's got the money and he believes he has the votes. Well, the Hamas leader wants to build on the, the October 7th attack. The leader uh, encouraged Islamic terrorists this week to build upon the victory that took place on October 7th in which Palestinian terrorists murdered 1,200 Israelis in an unprecedented terrorist attack on Israel. He made the remarks at a conference of the International Union of Muslim Scholars in Doha, Gutter on Tuesday. He called the people of Gaza the frontline trench for defense as well as for offense, saying that they are not there only to defend but also to attack. Hamas leader uh, said that we should hold on to the moment of victory on October 7th and build upon it. Time is on our side. Donations to Gaza are not humanitarian aid but financial jihad. Now that's a very interesting comment. Donations to Gaza are not humanitarian aid, he said, but financial jihad. In other news, um, Spencer Brown writes that federal officials have warned border agents to watch out for terrorists inspired by the Hamas massacre of Israelis on the 7th of October. And FBI Director Chris Wray told Congress that he sees warning uh, lights blinking everywhere I turn while admitting there are significant gaps in what the FBI knows about terrorist organizations planning attacks on Americans. Now, new intelligence shows that the risk of attacks on Americans by Hezbollah, one of Iran's terror proxies based primarily in Lebanon, is rising. That's according to officials who spoke anonymously with Politico. They believe that the Iran-backed terrorists could be considered attacks on both U.S. troops or diplomatic personnel overseas, considering the lack of border security under Biden, which has already seen a significant number of illegal immigrants with identities that are flagged in the U.S. terrorist database. It's ignorant to doubt the possibility of a Hezbollah attack in the U.S. It would also be foolish to think that Hezbollah terrorists have not already illegally entered the U.S. among the record number uh, known of known gotaways. They are already here. Uh, who do we think has been uh, coming across our southern border? American intel officials warn of the risk of Hezbollah attacking the U.S. Meanwhile, last week, the Iranian Navy commandeered an oil tanker in the Gulf of Oman. Iran claimed responsibility for that apparent hijacking of an oil tanker in the Gulf of Oman. The U.K. Maritime Trade Operations received a report um, uh, on Wednesday on the, of the tanker being boarded by four or five armed men wearing military-style black uniforms with black masks. A few hours later, Iranian state TV said the country's navy had carried out the attack. Iran is exacting revenge for the perceived slight involving the tanker. The vessel was the center of a dispute between Iran and the U.S. over the evasion of oil sanctions. Iran uses oil smuggling uh, proceeds to fund terrorism. Uh, John Bolton points out that all Americans should be outraged by this news of Iran hijacking a vessel under the supervision of the U.S. Department of Justice. The hijacking of the St. Nicholas is effectively an attack on a U.S. States, a United States vessel. I remained concerned about the safety of the crew, now Iranian hostages. Today's actions show once again that the Ayatollahs are not at all deterred by the United States. And this was last week. There has since been an answer. We'll talk more about that later in the program. Meanwhile, a DEA um, officer from John Hopkins Medic uh, Medicine retracted the definition of privilege, saying he retract, uh, retracted and disavowed the definition that he had shared 
We'll share more on that when we uh, return. But first, we have news at the top of the hour, and we'll be back. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Hey, welcome back. You're listening to the second hour of The Georgine Rice Show. Glad to have you with us today. It's very cold here, very icy. I don't know what it's like there in Seattle. I know you've had some pretty low temperatures as well, but I hope you're warm and comfortable. We're working our way through some of the headlines from the last several days. Uh, bringing us up to date on what's going on in our world. Well, a DEI officer from John Hopkins Medicine retracted a definition of privilege, saying, I retract and disavow the definition I shared. So he's uh, had a change of heart. Well, Johns Hopkins just sent out this uh, hit list of people automatically guilty of privilege, whether they know it or not. Males, whites, Christians, middle-aged people, able-bodied people, middle and Uh, owning uh, class and English-speaking people. Well, the message was emailed directly to employees from the DEI office. So this covers almost everybody on the planet. If you happen to be a minority and you think, well, I'm exempted, well, if you're middle-aged and you own something, well, that uh, means that you are privileged. The message was, again, emailed directly to employees. Well, after some significant and justified criticism online after the Diversity Digest was circulated, the chief diversity officer officer rather decided to try retracting the definition of privilege outlined um, in the original email. He referenced the definition uh, message to the Johns Hopkins medicine community and said it was something that, upon reflection, I deeply regret. Well, upon criticism, I deeply regret. That was an imposed reflection that apparently cost a a bit of something. A report revealed inflation rose 3.4% in 2023. Despite the claims made by the president and the Democrats on Capitol Hill, inflation is still not going down. Instead, according to the latest Consumer Price Index released on Thursday, inflation increased again in December in a significant acceleration uh, from November's ready, uh, rather read on consumer prices. According to the Bureau of Labor and Statistics, CPI inflation increased 0.3% in the final month of 2023, a tripling the 0.1% increase recorded in the previous month. On an annual basis, the last 12 months saw inflation rise 3.4%, notably more than the Federal Reserve's target inflation rate of 2.0%. Fulton County District Attorney Fannie Willis has a history riddled with um, conflicts of interest, and that raises some eyebrows. Just how politicized is Fulton County District Attorney Fannie Willis' office and her prosecution of Donald Trump and 18 other Republicans? Well, it's been obvious since day one that this persecution is, or rather prosecution, is about politics. But in the last few days, they've learned specific details about Willis's conflict of interest and her office's apparent collusion with the White House. In May of 22, right around the time Willis seated uh, a grand jury to investigate Donald Trump, a new part-time employee showed up at the office. The new hire is a DNC member, one of the uh, top leaders in the Georgia Democrat Party. Indeed, she is a spokesperson cited in response to a recent court filing by defendant Michael Roman, alleging an improper romantic relationship between Willis and special prosecutor Nathan Wade. In addition, at the time she was hired, she was the... Um, fiancé of and is now married to Charlie Bailey, the 2022 Democrat nominee for lieutenant governor, and shares a local PAC called Red Clay Democrats. If uh, Charlie Bailey's name sounds familiar, it's because he ran for lieutenant governor in 22 and lost to Republican Burt Jones. 
Uh, Willis actively campaigned for Bailey in 2022, and her involvement with his campaign led Judge Robert McBurney to bar Willis from investigating Jones due to her political conflict of interest. It's also worth noting that um, Paula V. Bailey's boss, Jeff DeSantis, is an active Democrat political operative who owns a media firm that's uh, raked in millions in and uh, and ad buys for Democratic candidates. All of these are uh, taking place despite Fulton County's policy on conflicts of interest. And Senator Robert Marshall is warning about a proposed rule from the Department of Health and Human Services that would force foster families to accept gender ideology and harm religious liberty. Well, Blaze Media reports that according to HHS and supporters of the measure, it would protect LGBTQIA plus youth by providing safe and appropriate placements State foster uh, care systems would be prohibited from placing LGBTQIA plus identifying children with a provider who unreasonably limits or denies a child's ability to express their sexual orientation, gender identity, or gender expression. And while families may apply for a religious exemption, the foster care system would be required to assess whether applying the required uh, requirement furthers a compelling interest and whether there are less restrictive alternatives available, end quote. If enacted, all states would be forced to comply with that measure. Top Republicans on the Health, Education, and Labor Pensions Committee, Senator Bill Cassidy is introducing a bill to prohibit liberal states from forcing American citizens to order states to subsidize state programs that expand public health care benefits to those in the country illegally. The legislation, called the Protect Medicaid Act, would prevent federal funds from being used to administer state Medicaid benefits provided to non-citizens by American citizens. If the state opts to extend Medicaid benefits to undocumented residents, the bill mandates that the state uh, bears the full financial resp- responsibility without imposing any costs on taxpayers from other states. And while federal law already prohibits illegal immigrants from receiving Medicaid, certain states, such as California, circumvent this restriction by using state funds from their public health care system, known as Medi-Cal, to extend Medicaid benefits to individuals without legal uh, immigration status. The legislation comes as California expands its Medicaid program to provide free health care for about 700,000 illegal immigrants in the state. The expansion is projected to cost the state more than $3 billion. By the way, Oregon has a similar program on its books. Canada's police officers are drumming up assault charges against a reporter who asked questions. The freedom of the press is gone in Canada, some are saying. It's a good thing this was caught on video or else the journalists would still be locked up. Well, Canada is out of control. Our neighbor to the north has descended into authoritarian chaos ever since the COVID pandemic, which led to the great truckers rally in Ottawa over the vaccine mandate. Well, since then, we've had Nazis celebrated in Parliament. Sikh leaders are getting assassinated reportedly by Indian agents. And now reporters are arrested for doing their job. David Menzies of Rebel News attempted to ask Canadian Deputy Prime Minister Christina Uh, Christia, rather, Freeland, a question when her Royal Canadian Mounted Police detail arrested him. He was later released after it was determined he he, uh, posed no serious threat to Ms. Freeland. Uh, Rebel News reporter uh, David Menzies was brutally arrested by police after he tried to ask um, the Deputy Prime Minister questions. And there are still questions about why.
The U.S.-Mexico border has seen record amounts of illegal crossings. The fiscal year 23 alone saw a massive number of illegal aliens storm the southern border, with a record 3.2 million migrants encountered. Well, this number doesn't include gotaways and those who have avoided detection. Since Biden took office, more than 8 million have uh, entered the United States. Yet, according to President Joe Biden, the record-breaking million uh, illegal immigrants or migrants, rather, crossing the U.S.-Mexico border daily is not a crisis. On Saturday, Biden told reporters that there is no need to worry about the southern border, despite illegal crossings surging to record highs because there is no crisis, uh, suggesting it is nothing more than a Republican scare tactic. Tell that to New York. Hmm. Hardworking Maine taxpayers are footing the bill for the construction of several apartment buildings where those who are in the country unlawfully will live rent-free. This week, Maine officials celebrated the renovation of a former naval air station base where 60 new apartment units in five buildings will go up. Border crossers and illegal migrants will be able to live rent-free, paid for by hardworking taxpayers in the U.S. for at least two years while they uh, await working permits. Uh, News Center Maine reported that the goal is to move migrants out of hotels and shelters and into stable housing, despite being in the U.S. illegally and um, uh, accepting benefits from taxpaying Americans. Others uh, complained that migrants were being put ahead of citizens by getting as much as two-year stents living for free in a nice new building. Others still suggest that Maine residents should um, quit paying taxes or voting for the Democratic politicians who green-lighted the scheme. Residents also pay some of the highest taxes in America. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Hey, welcome back. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. Well, the Senate GOP unveiled a border legislation deal with the White House. Well, the Senate GOP leadership's draft border deal with the White House would reward illegal migration that encourage more foreign graduates to take jobs from American graduates, say the Immigration Accountability Project. Well, the border deal would increase green cards by thir- rather 50,000 a year, work permits for adult children of H-1B holders, immediate work permits to every illegal alien released from custody, taxpayer-funded lawyers to certain UACs and mentally incompetent aliens, expulsion authority for a limited number of days only if encounters exceed 5K days over a several-day period, and restricts parole for those who enter without authorization between ports of entry. Well, cities under Democratic leadership, including New York and Chicago, have sought assistance in accommodating the influx of tens of thousands of migrants. New York Mayor Eric Adams has uh, implored the federal government to streamline the process of obtaining work permits. The city grapples with the challenge of aiding over 126,000 asylum seekers and other migrants who possess limited resources, require shelter, and lack authorization to seek employment. And Representative Jerry Nadler on Thursday argued the U.S. needs many illegal immigrants in the country to pick vegetables and keep them from rotting. The New York uh, Democrat made the remark during a House Judiciary Subcommittee on Immigration Integrity, Security and Enforcement hearing about the impact of illegal migration on social services. Nadler says our vegetables would rot if they were being picked by many, weren't being picked by many illegal immigrants. He then says uh, we need immigrants to move in because native-born birth rates are so low that we can't sustain Social Security benefits. Imagine if a Republican said that this and not a Democrat. Why Nadler is being, um, uh, why isn't he being 
canceled right now is a question in our highly sensitive age. Well, Illinois Governor J.B. Pritzker asked Governor Abbott to stop sending illegals to the city during a winter storm. Um, Pritzker asked uh, his Texas counterpart in a letter on Friday to stop busing migrants amid life-threatening winter weather in the Midwest. Chicago's temperatures this weekend are forecast to drop below zero, he wrote. Your uh, callousness sending buses and planes full of migrants in this weather is now life-threatening to every one of the arrivals. Hundreds of children and families, health and survival are at risk due to your actions. He isn't the only high-profile Democrat to criticize Abbott for moving migrants out of Texas that is overwhelmed. Chicago has received an estimated 34,562 migrants since the drop-offs began. One bus was expected to make drop-offs in the Chicago area Friday, the city said. There are also 408 migrants awaiting placement with 14,574 people in 28 active shelters. Responding to the letter, Abbott's office said Friday on uh, said on Friday rather that Texas will continue to send migrants until the president secures the border. His office also said migrants heading to Chicago signed a voluntary consent waiver and agreed upon the destination. Democrat Illinois Governor Pritzker says it's not fair to send migrants uh, to his sanctuary city. There are plenty of other cities where if he's uh, going to send people, they could be sent. But no, he's choosing only Democrat states, Democrat cities. Again, the point is to uh, gain the attention of the president who would do something about the southern border. Well, new data suggests more people who use marijuana experience psychotic episodes In some cases, particularly in young people, it can lead to permanent psychiatric disorders. Uh, Truveta, an analytics firm, reports diagnoses of marijuana-induced psychoses, emergency department visits, increased by more than 50% between 2019 and 2020. Additionally, the rate of cannabis-induced disorders, uh, emergency visits, continued to increase through 2023, while these trends were not seen with the cannabis-involved emergency department visits. According to the U.S. DEA, the average THC content found in cannabis has increased from 4% in 1995 to 15% in 2021, with some products advertising THC concentrations of up to 90%. Even one chance, um, um, even one psychotic episode following cannabis use was associated with a 47% chance of a person developing schizophrenia or bipolar disorder. The risk was highest for people 16 to 25 and higher than uh, uh, for substances including amphetamines, hallucinogens, opioids, and alcohol. With the Iowa caucuses today, the National Survey finds Trump especially well-related, or rather well-rated by Republicans and Republican-leaning independents on three metrics, having the best chance to win in November, being a strong leader, and being the party's most qualified candidate. Among groups, just 31% of women now approve of Biden's work in the office, a new low, as do 34% of men. He won 57% of women in 2020. 47% say he, Trump, has the mental sharpness it takes to serve effectively as president, compared to 28% who say this of Biden. And more than 57% say Trump has the physical health necessary to serve, again, compared to 28% for Biden. An ABC poll says just 28% think the President Biden has the mental sharpness to effectively serve for another term. And this is, unsurprisingly, concerning to Democrats. A proposal to ban tackle football for children under 12 in California passed by an assembly committee 
5 to 2 on Wednesday, and now heads to the full legislature. Assembly Bill 734, which was uh, proposed by California Democrat Kevin McCarty of Sacramento, seeks to prevent youth football teams from allowing kids younger than 12 to engage in full contact football and push them toward flag football. McCarthy's latest attempt, and that's McCarthy's latest uh, latest attempt to pass the bill, marks the third time the California State Assemblyman has introduced it, arguing that banging your brains around for little kids just isn't safe. The bill would phase out tackle football for youth gradually, starting with kids under 6 in 2025, before moving to kids under 10 in 2027 and all children under 12 in 2029. California wants to ban the 12-year-olds from playing tackle football while ensuring kids can get their um, private parts uh, removed. Madness, says one observer. Um, Former NFL quarterback Matt Lienart says California is trying to ban tackle football for kids under 12. This is getting out of hand. Governor Newsom is upset with Wall Street Journal for reporting on his wealth tax. Mr. Newsom on Wednesday presented his budget for the coming year, including ideas to close a $68 billion shortfall. He then lashed out at us uh, in Trumpian fashion. He called us an ideological warrior, a broken clock, and shameful for criticizing a wealth tax bill that was uh, getting an assembly hearing that day. Well, maybe Mr. Newsom was so touchy because so many affluent taxpayers are leaving California, which is contributing to the state's enormous deficit. The state lost $29.1 billion in adjusted gross income from population migration in 2021, more than triple what it did in 2019. Between 2020 and 2022, the state lost nearly 40,000 residents with graduate or professional degrees on net. They're leaving in part because they see their tax bills, which they know will have to uh, increase to pay for the state's promises to public unions and ever-expanding welfare state. This year, California's top marginal tax rate on uh, wages was in, uh, will increase to 14.4%, owing to a 2022 law signed by Mr. Newsom that removed the $145,600 wage limit for a 1.1% payroll tax to fund expanded paid family leave. This means the 9.3% marginal tax rate for middle-class Californians will increase by 1.1 percentage point to 10.4%, more than millionaires pay in almost every state. One California assemblyman, Josh Hoover, said the wealth tax has been stopped for now, but the legislature should act quickly to take it off the table for good. We discussed why this proposal would be so devastating for California's taxpayers and economy. Pro-Palestinian protesters got rough outside the White House over the weekend. Several thousand pro-Palestinian protesters rallied at the White House on Saturday, marking 100 days since Hamas massacre on October 7th, condemning President Joe Biden for his support of Israel and attempting to tear down a supporting fence. A video showed the crowds shaking the fence so viciously that the section of it became partially dislodged, while a horde of Secret Service and police pushed back to keep the protesters from entering the grounds. Some protesters hurled water bottles and sticks broken off their uh, Palestinian flags at the officers while others tried to climb the fence. Metropolitan police uh, blasted illegal behavior from protesters in the press release on Saturday night. The right to peacefully protest is one of the cornerstones of our democracy, and the Metropolitan Police Department has long supported those who visit our city to demonstrate safely. However, violence, destructive behavior, and criminal activity are not tolerated.
You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. If you're listening from Seattle, we bid you a fond farewell. Stay warm. We'll be back tomorrow at 4. Have a good night. And here in Portland, we'll be back in just a few moments. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Hey, welcome back. You're listening to the Portland-only segments of The Georgine Rice Show. Well, President Biden has called for a lid as the U.S. and U.K. launch their airstrikes in Yemen. If you want to hit your enemy hard, don't telegraph your punch. That's just one of the lessons for the Commander-in-Chief Joe Biden, whose joint operation airstrikes against targets in Yemen were leaked by the U.K. press two hours beforehand. Well, the strikes, which included support from Australia, Canada, the Netherlands, and Bahrain, hit some 60 targets at 16 Houthi sites, but killed a measly five bad guys. The White House issued a joint statement uh, which called for the immediate end of these illegal attacks and released an unlawfully uh, detained vessels and crews. But Biden himself went, um, well, before addressing the media or the American people a bit soft. According to the Pentagon, he and the defense secretary, who's still hospitalized at the time with prostate cancer, had spoken only twice in the past two days. We imagine all this as the Iranian mullahs, for whom the Houthis are a proxy, just quaking in their turbans. We won't deter Iran without hitting Iran. This is the aggression that Biden's weakness has provoked. Last week, after repeated sternly, stern, uh, sternly worded memos from Team Biden, the Houthis laughed and then launched their most complex attack on shipping vessels to date. Well, this commercial component is likely what forced Biden's hand as shipping costs have spiked significantly since the onset of the attacks. Recall that uh, Donald Trump had rightly... Uh, designated the Houthis as a terrorist organization, and Biden undid that designation almost immediately upon taking office. Well, the Department of Defense Inspector General will probe General Austin's absence. It's a sad sign of our nation's military decline that Lloyd Austin still has a job, they argue. But at least the Department of Defense's Inspector General is going to take a look at why and how Joe Biden's DEI Defense Secretary abandoned his post without notification. Well, as the Washington Times reports, the Pentagon's internal watchdog announced Thursday that it will investigate the circumstances surrounding the Defense Secretary's lengthy hospital stay and will examine whether the Secretary's office has effective procedures in place for the transition of authorities when such an emergency arises. Lawmakers on both sides of the aisle are now rightly calling for Austin's uh, resignation, with Pennsylvania Congressman Chris DeLuzio being the first Democrat to do so. DeLuzio is a member of the House Armed Services Committee and an Iraq War veteran, said he has um, lost trust in Austin's leadership and better late than never. The White House is now requesting a review by its cabinet secretaries, uh, rewarding uh, rather regarding their uh, process for delegating authority. West Virginia Democrat Senator Joe Manchin has uh, not been happy with the Biden administration's green energy agenda. Specifically, Manchin is upset over the Biden administration's unlawful use of the falsely named Inflation Reduction Act, or IRA, and he's threatening to file a lawsuit against the administration over its illegal implementation of the law. The problem is not with EVs, states Manchin. My problem is this. This administration crusade to convert everyone over to an EV, regardless of where the battery came from or what the law actually says, end quote. Well, the crux of the issue for Manchin is that the Biden administration's attempt to go around the law's domestic sourcing requirement for EV battery components. 
Since few EVs currently on the market meet this requirement to qualify for federal tax credits likely dampening EV sales, the Biden administration has been seeking a workaround. As Manchin adds, unfortunately, it seems this administration is so hell-bent on implementing their radical climate agenda for political gain that they're willing to bend and break the law and watch our manufacturing base continue to fall behind. Speaking of EVs, Hertz uh, rental car I mentioned earlier in the program, that company, which has been touted by the administration for embracing its climate agenda by purchasing a fleet of EVs, recently decided to reverse course. Hertz announced it will sell off 20,000 EVs, roughly a third of its uh, U.S. EV fleet, as the uh, company cited higher expenses related to uh, collision and damage primarily associated with EVs. Uh, to throw even more cold water on the uh, president's EV green dream, Hertz will take the money from the sale of these EVs and reinvest it in the purchase of more gas-powered vehicles. Well, in yet another sure sign that the uh, uh, Democrats are freaking out about Joe Biden's polling numbers against the likely Republican candidate for president, Donald Trump, a pair of hard-left Democrats introduced bills in both houses that would prohibit private parliamentary activity nationwide. The legislation's authors are Maryland Congressman Jamie Raskin and Massachusetts Senator Ed Markey. As the Washington Post reports, the ban would hold individuals liable who directly engage in certain types of conduct, including intimidating state and local officials, interfering with government proceedings, pretending to be law enforcement and violating people's constitutional rights while armed and acting as part of a private paramilitary organization. The next step, of course, would be to label all groups of Trump supporters as militia. Fortunately, the bill has no chance of passing the Republican-controlled House and its future in the narrowly divided Senate is also in doubt. Still, it gives us a sense of the panic uh, and the hatred that drive some uh, politicians these days. And it tells us that Biden's twisted democracy rhetoric is just one symptom of a larger illness. Well, the chief diversity officer at the famous Johns Hopkins University in Baltimore, Maryland, recently sent out an employee-wide email to effectively educate them on the tenets of wokeness. The email first defines privilege using the classic Marxist oppressor versus oppressed framework and then proceeds to list social identity groups uh, who have this privilege. Unsurprisingly, the list begins with white people and includes heterosexuals, males and Christians. In other words, the email advances straight up racism, sexism and anti-Christian bigotry. After word of the email got out, the Johns Hopkins DEI office retracted the email and apologized. Meanwhile, at a comic book convention in Montgomery County, Maryland, <clears throat> vendors who are white and male will be charged a higher fee to reserve a table space than all female and minority vendors. The rates for women or minority-owned businesses are listed at 225 or $250 with electricity, while the uh, rates for regular people, in quotes, meaning white male-owned businesses, are listed at 275 or 325 with electricity. The word regular was later removed, but the race-sex-based rate divisions remain. That's some privilege. Well, Washington State's privilege ammo tax, the latest attempt to further erode American Second Amendment rights, comes from lawmakers in Washington State. On Tuesday, they introduced House Bill 2238, which would impose an additional privilege sales tax on all firearm ammunition. As the bill read, a use uh, tax is levied on every person in this state for the privilege of using ammunition as a consumer at a rate of 11 cents per selling price. 
Of course, the legislation exempts state, local, and tribal governments from the ammo tax. The legislation justifies the tax by noting that the revenue from this will go to programs that aim to prevent suicide and to reduce firearms-related domestic violence. The Second Amendment is a right and not a privilege, as the Constitution uh, provides. Ammunition, by definition, is an armament and therefore included under the Second Amendment. Yet, uh, consistently demonizing firearms as a problem in an effort to avoid responsibility for the lawlessness of soft-on-crime policies has fueled across the country uh, this, uh, this move. Furthermore, this is an attempt to significantly limit Americans' right to bear arms without directly calling for the elimination of firearms. The administration is ignoring the genocide of Nigerian Christians. More than 5,000 Christians across the world were martyred in 2023, 90% of whom were killed in Nigeria alone. That continues a trend of Islamist terrorism from the group Boko Haram that's claimed the lives of more than 52,000 Nigerian Christians since 2009. Nigeria has led the world in this ongoing genocide of Christians, and yet for the third year in a row, the State Department has failed to include Nigeria on its list of countries of particular concern, which includes nations that are engaged in particularly severe violations of religious freedom. 2020, under Donald Trump, with the rise of Boko Haram's violence against Christians, Secretary of State Mike uh, Pompeo added Nigeria to the CPC list, which uh, triggered diplomatic and economic penalties. Without explanation, Joe Biden's Secretary of State Anthony Blinken removed Nigeria from the CPC in 2021. Notably, says the Family Research Council's Ariel Turco, the removal of Nigeria's CPC status uh, came one day before Blinken went to Nigeria to visit the state leaders, including President uh, Buhuri. Buhuri. And, uh, even, uh, and ever since, the Biden administration has effectively turned a blind eye to Nigeria's persecution of Christians, uh, Tony Perkins observed. The Biden administration is where religious freedom goes to die. Unfortunately, thousands of people are dying, too. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. We'll take a quick break, and we'll be back to wrap things up. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Hey, welcome back. You're listening to the final segment of The Georgine Rice Show. Well, Hunter Biden pled not guilty to nine federal charges in an L.A. court and is given a June trial date. Former President Trump lashed out at a judge in closing arguments of his civil fraud trial last week. President Trump's 14th Amendment political challenger has been arrested on federal tax charges. And President Biden announced a fresh wave of early student debt cancellation for some borrowers. The FAA will increase oversight of Boeing's production and manufacturing following the Alaska Airlines emergency landing. And uh, Meta plans to restrict more content for teens as regulatory pressure mounts. A judge ordered a California district to reinstate teachers, refused to hide students' gender transition, and PolitiFact's found, um, founder rather predicts social media will be used to suppress misinformation, in quotes, more often this year. Chicago schools are missing $23 million in laptops and iPads, and all Washington State public high schools will now get overdose kits. Health officials cite the fentanyl surge there. The number of children living with two parents is on the rise, data shows. And Canadian police warn that posting videos of alleged um, package thieves could be a violation of their privacy, even if they're stealing items from your porch. Well, 
with uh, wind chill temperatures expected to hit record high minus 40 tonight or last night, Iowans will have plenty of reason to stay warm in their homes tonight rather than heading out to remote caucus locations. And it's hard to imagine a turnout rivaling that of 2016 when Republicans drew 187,000 caucus goers, especially given that the outcome is as certain as it's ever been. But there are still plenty of uh, subplots to consider including whether Donald Trump can do what's never been done before in the history of the caucuses, reach 50% of the vote. I think you can talk about second and third, Washington Examiner's Byron York says um, this morning, but you really shouldn't lose the big picture, which is that there's one candidate who appears to be headed for a prohibitive victory. The reason Trump wants 50 plus 1 uh, percent is so he can say to all the other Republicans, look, You take all the anti-Trump Republicans, put them all together, and you still can't beat me. Well, look why I um, uh, why don't we just end this right here? End quote. Well, among the big stories to watch will be whose um, turnout will be most affected by the cold. What will the margin between second and third be? Uh, That uh, will likely determine whether Florida Governor Ron DeSantis can continue even with a poor showing, given that he's uh, put everything into his first in the nation vote, including visits. uh, visiting all 99 of the state's counties. And will Nikki Haley's speech sound like an attack on Trump or like an attempt to position herself for VP? And finally, where will the all-important evangelical vote go? DeSantis long ago got the endorsement of Bob Vanderplatz, who is arguably Iowa's most influential social conservative, but Trump is still doing extremely well with evangelicals. Iowans generally seem to be on the belief that they like Trump's policies and they want Trump to restore them. In other news, Congress agrees to another short-term funding deal. Lawmakers in the House and the Senate agreed to another short-term continuing resolution that will fund the federal government until March. Uh, in the meantime, this will give Congress a few more weeks to work on passing a uh, budget. Appropriations bills to meet the agreed-upon $1.66 trillion top-line budget. Well, this latest continuing resolution agreement Uh, will likely anger the Republican Freedom Caucus against Speaker Mike Johnson, who back in November pledged not to agree to another short-term spending deal. Well, as uh, Johnson stated at the time, if you can't get the final bills uh, finished under this timeline uh, with good conservative wins, then we're just going to uh, go with the most painful version of a full-year CR that will result in large across-the-board non-defense cuts. Well, Hunter Biden's so-called compliance is a bad joke, critics say. The Hunter Biden circus was in D.C. this past week as he made a mockery of the rule of law after having uh, thumbed his nose at two congressional subpoenas, uh, the sort of behavior that uh, gets Trump supporters like Steve Bannon and uh, Pete Navarro um, clapped in, uh, in irons and hauled off to jail. Hunter's lawyers now say he'll abide by the next subpoena they serve. Uh-huh. Well, as the Washington Free Beacon reported, after a busy week proclaiming his innocence in federal court and sparring with a Republican lawmaker who accused him of having, well, no guts, I'll put it that way, Hunter Biden on Friday caved to GOP demands to testify as part of an impeachment inquiry into his father. Hunter Biden agreed to testify on his foreign business dealings, either behind closed doors or in public, according to a letter his attorney uh, sent to Republican lawmakers. If you issue a new proper subpoena now... Uh, that there is a duly authorized um, impeachment inquiry, Mr. Biden will comply with the hearing or the deposition. 
Uh, we will accept such a subpoena on Mr. Biden's behalf, uh, he told uh, House Republicans. Uh, we'll see. I don't believe, however, that Hunter and his lawyer, um, Abe Lowell, are backing down, writes National Review's Andrew McCarthy, himself a former federal prosecutor. So while the statements are encouraging, he's not holding his breath. Last week, uh, Thomas Gallatin reported that former National Institutes of Health Director Francis Collins had come clean on a federal government COVID cover-up, or at least partly so. Collins admitted, among other things, that political considerations, not science, had directed the nation's pandemic response. Now, as it turns out, Collins isn't done confessing. On Friday, as National uh, Review reported, Collins testified before the House um, about his role, echoing Dr. Anthony Fauci's recent testimony on social uh, distancing guidelines, gain-of-function research, and the lab leak theory. Collins agreed with Fauci that the six-foot distancing recommendation was likely not based on any scientific data, despite the the, uh, policy being heavily promoted by federal health officials during the pandemic. All this is better late than never, never, we suppose, but the grievous a damage that Collins, Fauci, and their fellow bureaucrats did to the public trust is hard to gauge. After all, even in candor, Collins was infuriatingly evasive. He fell back on the did-not-recall response more than 100 times during his congressional testimony. And Taiwan's presidential election results. Lai Ching-te won the presidential election in Taiwan on Saturday as the uh, former vice president received 40 percent of the national vote in a three-way race. The victory is the third in a row for the Democratic Progressive Party, and it represents a big loss for Beijing as the DPP promotes a platform of independence from China. In his speech, uh, his victory speech, uh, Lai stated in the global election uh, year of 2024 in this most anticipated first election, Taiwan has scored the first victory for democracy. China's communist government, which has refused to recognize Taiwan's independence status, despite the fact that the communists have never controlled the island nation, promised to oppose the separatist activist activities rather aimed at Taiwan's independence. And despite the State Department issuing a message of congratulations to the new president, Joe Biden responded to the election news by stating, we do not support independence. Want to thank Sam Maupin for engineering uh, and producing today's program. Thank you for joining us, and I hope you'll join us here again tomorrow. Have a good night. Thanks for listening to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. If you'd like more information on today's guests, please visit the show at kpdq.com and like us on Facebook. And join us live every weekday at 4 for more critical thinking for critical times on 93.9 KPDQ. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.